We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And continuing our celebration of the different contributions that key people had to this 2020 Lakers championship, we're going to talk about Frank Vogel today. He came in as maybe not the the first choice of the Lakers, but proved himself to be really a, a wonderful fit within the context of the roster. He earned his title as an NBA championship head coach, which yeah. not a lot of people have. I think people forget that a lot of coaches that end up winning titles win multiple titles. It is not an easy thing to do. And Frank Vogel is one of those people now. And so in this episode, we're going to celebrate his contributions to the 2020 championship. In this first segment, we're going to set up the context in which he was hired and take you all the way up to the beginning of the season. And then in the second segment, we're going to talk about, we're really going to focus on the defensive end because Vogel is mainly a defensive guy. And then in the third segment, we're going to talk about his preparation for the playoffs, right? And how he approached playoff game planning to get us all the way to the title. So Darius, set up for us the context in which Vogel came on board, right? It wasn't always these smooth waters, very similar to Palenka, who we discussed last week. Yeah, and I think that that goes hand in hand 
from at least from an outsider's perspective, the organization seemed like they were a bit in turmoil. Um, Magic had resigned. Palinka had taken over or at least maintained his role as general manager. And now they're out to find a new head coach after Luke Walton was dismissed. Just like you said, Pete, Vogel wasn't necessarily the team's first choice. I remember seeing Instagram posts of a birthday cake for Ty Lu in Las Vegas, and Lou was supposed to be the guy. And you and I had done a whole podcast about what we thought about Ty Lu and how we thought he would be a really good fit for this team. And there were conversations about the Lakers had really strong interest in Monty Williams as a potential coach. Williams goes to Phoenix. Um, things don't work out with, with Ty Lue and Vogel then emerges as a head coach candidate after he was rumored to be a potential assistant coach on Ty Lue's staff. So there was a lot of discussion, I think, from outside noise about, well, is Vogel even the right guy? He wasn't even their first choice. He was good in Indiana, but he sort of flamed out in, in Orlando and, and got fired there after a short stint. And I think there were a lot of question marks around Vogel. And then you lead up to when he was hired and the introductory press conference and as we spoke about during the Palinka pod, that same morning, Magic Johnson went on first take and he's, you know, roasted the organization nice and good. And he's had some choice words about Rob Palinka. And, and I think that there was just a lot swirling around the hire. And I think it was fair to wonder if things were going in the right direction. Remember at this time too, the Lakers had yet to trade for, for, for Anthony Davis, so it was only LeBron um, and all of these young guys, and how is this going to work? I want to get more of Mike's perspective here because, you know, we're all relying on leaked media reports and, oh, they really wanted this guy, but they didn't get him, and... But I'm sure from an organizational perspective, that was much different, and so... From your side, was it more like this was the right guy or was some of that outside stuff just noise or or did you have a sense that maybe some of that stuff was real, but but you had some cautious optimism around this? Yeah, I, I had cautious optimism at the time. Uh, it, it's 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 obviously much easier to say, guys, in hindsight now that he was the perfect coach for the <laughs> job, for the specific job that he had, and we can see how it all worked out. At the time, you know, my thinking was more – all right. Well, at Indiana, he got LeBron's respect in those playoff battles. And so that was kind of, that was a very important element to this. You had to have somebody that was going to be able to come in and earn LeBron's respect. And LeBron was there at the press conference without yeah. saying anything, without tweeting anything. He just stood in the back and I thought that was meaningful. Then for the press conference itself, Frank Vogel, as, and now that we've all gotten to know him a little bit better, this makes more sense, but he was kind of like totally fine and content with all of the questions just going to Rob. It wasn't like he didn't feel the need to flex and to, to to talk about why he was the right choice for the job, right? He was already planning with what his roster was. And, and so what I wanted to do there, given all of this, this other stuff that was going on off the court, I wanted to just try to ask him some basketball philosophy questions. And I remember, like, as his team, of course, in Indiana was, was the traditional Roy Hibbert, verticality, rim protection, big team. 
Orlando, it's tough to blame on him. He didn't really have very good players. Uh, many of them got hurt, and then they had a management change. So I, I was willing to sort of set that aside. Uh, no NBA coach wins without a good roster. It, it just doesn't really happen that often. So I asked him, and he started, of course, as Pete alluded to earlier, with defense. And he thought that the Lakers were going to be able to both take things away at the rim and then still get out to defend three-point shooters, which is not easy. <laughs> There's almost no team in the league that can do it. Like, Milwaukee is really good at taking away the rim, uh, but we're almost conceded threes all the time. So, And this was also before he still had his entire personnel set up. But I think that all his philosophy lined up with Rob Palenka, and we know now that they worked really well together to speak about the types of players that could fit in this ideal system around LeBron and hopefully a second star. And eventually, Pete, that's what happened. So that was just what I was I was encouraged by the fact that Vogel was about the work. He wasn't about himself. He was about collaborating. And that was something that certainly bore fruit as the season went on. Yeah, that's something that this team needed to right? with the different personalities. And you've got it. Vogel has, I've noticed, has a respect for for expertise, right, and and delegation. That's something. If you listen to his assistant coaches, and if you listen to player comments when they go on podcasts and things like that, there's, you know, Jared Dudley had a great appearance talking about the great scouting job that Vogel did for one of the playoff opponents. I, I can't remember at the time, but that ability to delegate and to, you know, this assistant's in charge of that. That is so much of the head coaching position in the preparation for, and we'll get more of into this in the second segment. But Vogel was extraordinarily prepared, and I think that that's an area where he and Palinka have a great deal of overlap, and they're simpatico, right? In this, like Vogel, really, yeah. Again, he's prepared for different contingencies, and but also has a guiding philosophy behind that. They were able to build in the same direction from a very early standpoint, and again, we'll talk about the defense in the second segment. But just Darius, that. Emphasis on collaborate, collaboration yeah. and versatility, they, they tie in together for me. I think the, the collaboration and communication was something that I picked up on very early in that opening press conference. Palinka was taking a lot of fire in, in that presser, right? A lot of questions about Magic Johnson and what was said about him and, and the organizational structure. And, and there was a lot of stuff that Palinka had to sort of parry away Right. Like, like, no, no, no. You know, we're here to talk about the head coach hire. And so Vogel got some of those questions as well. And I just remember Luke. So Luke Walton was a relatively inexperienced coach, right? He, his first head coaching job was with the Lakers. And like I said, last podcast, I like Luke Walton just fine, but there was a contrast with Vogel at that opening press conference that really stood out to me that Vogel really came off as someone who had been around the block multiple times, right? And he was seasoned and he had experience and there was an affability about him that I thought was, was calming in a way that the Lakers really needed at that specific time. And I don't think that was an act. It wasn't a front. And I think we saw that. Yeah. yeah. And we saw that over the course of the season and that idea of collaborating and communicating and being open to ideas from all different directions. That was something that he carried with him throughout the entire season. And it was evident that that was going to be the case for him very early on, even as there were still people questioning like, oh, well, 
did he even get to hire his own staff? And there's Jason Kidd over there, right? So I think that there was still a lot of narrative stuff that was circling around him. But very early in that, I got the sense like, oh, no, this guy's about it. Like, mm-hmm. he is not only a smart basketball mind, but he is an intuitive people person that I think is going to serve him well in this specific job, working for the Lakers, where there's always a spotlight, coaching LeBron James, hopefully getting Anthony Davis soon. And and there's going to be a lot of bringing people together that is going to matter. And more than one time during that opening presser, the vibe I got from from Vogel was, hey, we're already all on the same page. We're already going to row in the same direction. I'm going to be an open communicator. I'm going to take ideas from from multiple play, play, places, and I'm going to allow people to convince me and listen to them that we can do something this way. And if that's the best idea, then that's what's going to win out. It's not just about me. So he gets he gets an A for all of that stuff, right? The there are there are intangibles for players. There are intangibles for coaches as well. And all of that stuff, reading the room, understanding the roster, knowing how to work with management, knowing how to work with ownership. Uh, Frank's just good, and and here's the reason: nothing got handed to Frank. He had to figure all this stuff out. Like he had to, he had to get. He played at a small, tiny little D three uh, school for his freshman sophomore year, and then said, "I have to get to Kentucky to be around Rick Pitino." Well, guess what? So does every other young aspiring basketball <laughs> coach and player in the league. He, Frank just figured it out. He figured out a way to get it done. He made it happen. Then he made it his, his way to the NBA. Um, he makes his way up to a head coaching spot. Like he, he is a guy that just figures out how to get stuff done. And to transition that to, I, I think there is a flow, as Peter alluded to, as to what his style is as a basketball coach. And I pulled up a quote from that opening presser, Darius, that you decided. And here it is. So quote, there's been a major evolution stylistically with how I want to play the game. And it's about the evolution of the league. The whole league has changed with the three point shot and the amount of switching that occurs and is necessary to occur on some level. I do believe it's overdone on some level, but the two years in Orlando while we were developing the young talent and it was a rebuild situation turned into a little bit of a laboratory for me to figure out this new NBA, figure out this new world. What is the exact scheme that needs to go in to be successful in the modern NBA? It was a great learning experience. I continued that in my sabbatical year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like, that's what, that's what Frank was doing during, you know, throughout this time. And I think that hearing that now, it's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. like those, that kind of, that kind of hits. And again, this is before, you know, this is before, this was in May, um, that I had asked him about this. This was, I think, May 20th, that article went out. So of course, before the trade, before free agencies, but he, like, it just shows you uh, that he was, he was, um, he was thinking on that next level and waiting and excited to implement. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of that implementation, specifically on the defensive end. The wait is finally over and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Mm-hmm. 
Vogel is a guy I noticed over the course of this season that when he's got a problem, he's going to solve it by trying to play better defense in most instances. There's an upside to that. There's a downside to that. But he is a defensive guy. And it was remarkable to see how he put together this defense. He explained something early on in a training camp video on Backstage Lakers where he was explaining their no-roller-behind concept. And some teams run this, but... Most teams don't have the personnel that we do. And what no roller behind is, is in a pick and roll situation, you want your big man to be in a drop coverage and drop back as the offensive player who set the screen is rolling to the basket. And so a lot of those guys, your Rudy Gobert, your Nerlens Noel, your Lob, Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and so... As you're backpedaling, your job is to not let that roll man get behind you and not allow the lob. And what that does is that means that you don't have to send as much help from the weak side. And this plays into what you were saying, Mike, about we think that we can take away the front of the rim and we can take the three-point line, which is very ambitious. But uh, if you don't have to pull help away from the perimeter to protect the rim – you're more likely to do that. Now, that's all well and good if you don't have the personnel, but it speaks to the way that his emphasis on maximizing the talents of – like he comes to that conclusion of saying we're going to run a lot of no-roller behind because we have JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis and to an extent LeBron James, to an extent Alex Caruso, guys who can get up in the air relative to their position and take away opportunities. So that idea of maximizing – bigs in a league where they have become more and more de-emphasized, particularly because of the defensive end. And we saw that manifest itself in the playoffs, but we ate a lot of innings going into the playoffs of not having to put AD at the five, not having to do maybe what was at our max, the best version of ourselves, but it preserved, it preserved guys so that when the playoffs came, they were able to do that. So I would argue though, that this strategic idea, this specific strategic idea is fundamental for why the Lakers were a great defensive team all season, right? Because we often talk about the three-point line as being the spacing, right? But the key idea to me is eliminating the idea of vertical spacing and how vertical spacing impacts what you have to do on the perimeter in order to help. And with the pick and roll taking like now being the dominant action in the league in order to initiate offense, the idea that the Lakers are going to try to neutralize that play by turning it into a two on two action, right? Rather than a three on two action where you need to bring help from the wing. That is a fundamental way as a philosophy that you then retain flexibility on the court to do a bunch of different things on the perimeter that you are unable to do when you have to commit a third defender. Mm -hmm. And I think Vogel seeing it early, and I think that this goes hand in hand with the roster that Rob Palinka put together, but Vogel seeing it early that we're going to have two rim protectors on the floor at at any given time. And one of those rim protectors in Anthony Davis is one of the rangiest rim protectors you're going to find in all of the league. Being able to use, and I've made this analogy before, but Davis is sort of the queen on the chessboard, right? Like he can move anywhere 
he wants and, and be aggressive as a defensive player in ways that you normally reserve those those ideas for how offensive players are right there there's a ton of queens on the chessboard offensively but there's not too many that can carry that mantle defensively and Anthony Davis is one of those guys and, and so I think Vogel's ideas about what the team was going to be defensively that started very early and I think he was able to generate a certain amount of buy-in via preparation and forward thinking that matters in terms of connecting to to the players as yeah. well so just to to try to bring this to a uh, to like a big picture standpoint right as to why like why did the Lakers win the title and Frank Vogel is a piece of that. We talked about Rapalinka last. We're going to get into the players. But Vogel's vision that he shared in May before Dwight Howard, who, by the way, if you're all about rim protection and verticality, and he, like here's the Vogel quote, with all the talk of the three-point line, it's still the most important to build your defense inside to out. The basket is still the top priority. The paint is still the top priority. And then you spray out and guard the three-point line. This is after he spent you know, essentially a couple of years studying the NBA and how to win on that side of the court. So... Back to March, or excuse me, back to May, Dwight isn't there yet, Anthony Davis isn't there yet, but he still thinks that's the way to win. Well, clearly, he had sat down with Rob Palenka, and when you're interviewing, part of these questions that you're getting from, hey, how do you think you would want to play? And what kind of players do you think can maximize that? So another shout-out to Palenka then by when DeMarcus Cousins goes down, who is not going to protect the rim vertically, Dwight Howard is the guy that they bring in. And then... Anthony Davis, uh, like maximizing the plan where we forget LeBron is also an elite rim protector from the weak side when he comes over, especially in the playoffs. So all of a sudden you've got Frank Vogel's philosophy and his style. You've got two way wings that can get out to three point shooters still. And then you've got JaVale McGee, LeBron James, Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. And, and it, it just works, Pete. That's, that's the kind of synergy from top to bottom in an organization, from a coaching staff, from a player's uh, perspective, that's the kind of thing that makes a plan work. The synergy carries forth to the perimeter as well, right? Because bigs have gone by the wayside to a large extent for a reason, because and largely because they cannot also get out to the three-point line. The Lakers had a couple of guys, with JaVale and Dwight specifically, where there were at, at times in the playoffs where, yes, that schemed them off of the floor as well. That same principle became Im- important, but... The, they do the move Lakers, their feet, though, Pete, as you know, like better than a sure. lot of those lumbering bigs, right, too? So so they're not like they're not amazing at it, but they can still do it. For That's right. right. They're not totally lost. Exactly. The way that plays into our guards, and this is something that where the incorporation of the guards into... You know, the, the guards were very – they don't have a stud ball handler that's going to be a shot creator outside of LeBron. And how do you get these guys who are not occupying a ton of cap space either to get the best out of them, right? And so I thought Vogel did his best work with the guards really on both ends of the floor. I suppose I'll start on offense before we go back to defense. He put KCP in a lot of those horns handoffs where KCP is actually a good passer off of ball screens. He's just not that good of a ball handler to get into ball screens. And so if you run him off of a handoff, all he's got to do is do a speed dribble. Like it's a straight line and it's either attack the, the basket with speed, which he's good at, or throw that lob up to Dwight, right? Or or whomever his big is, which he's, he's good at that as well. 
he put Caruso in a lot of those side ball screens with LeBron where Caruso doesn't have that pull-up mid-range jumper. But if you do it off of a side ball screen uh, on where it's two guys on one side of the floor, he doesn't have to make the skip pass read that he's not all that great at. or make. So even if they were in a drop against AC on a side pick and roll, he's still going to go all the way to the basket. And how many times do yeah. we see him drop that bo- bounce pass to LeBron on the roll for a dunk? That was a pet play of ours. So – Transition that to the defensive end and being cohesive in that synergy with the bigs, with these guys that can play no roller behind, that can take away the rim, that philosophically fit what Vogel wants to do. And again, credit to Palinka for giving him that personnel. What do you want to do on the perimeter? You want to funnel guys in there. You don't want guys on the three-point line rendering your rim protection ineffective, right? So you got to be able to rotate. You got to be able to close out. You got to be able to lock and trail on shooters as they come around screens. So all of our guards could heat up the perimeter in some way, whether it was KCP, Alex Caruso, Avery Bradley. We saw that from Rondo even in the playoffs, his ability to create, you know, havoc on the perimeter. And so being aggressive, like I, I was really impressed, Darius, with his utilization of our defensive talent on the perimeter to maximize those guys that we talked about a moment ago that like funnel them into the rim protection because if they're able to hang out on the perimeter and go bombs away from there that renders those guys a lot less effective look man we talked about this all season in terms of the different skill sets that the lakers guards had defensively and i think you have to credit the coach for deploying those guys into positions and spots on the floor where they can optimize the skill sets that are most inherent within them as individual players right and so he did tell avery bradley look pick up full court pick up three quarter court when a guy gets gets the half court pressure him turn him mul- mm-hmm. multiple times and I thought he did a great job of giving Danny Green the right assignments to make sure that he was more often in help situations rather than at the point of attack as much. Now, Green can still defend at the point of attack, but I thought that his strategic positioning of these guys was important. One of the things I I would also say, too, is that he leveraged the strengths of his big men to help prop up the skill sets of his guards, right? And so one of the things that I was most impressed with by Vogel defensively this season was he wasn't revamping the scheme and doing like something drastically different, but it was a little tweak here and there, right? So Instead of playing in a full drop coverage, he would bring his big men up a little bit higher to the point of attack, right? And just like Mike said, JaVale can slide his feet some out there. Dwight can get wide, and he can slide his feet some out there. And he would push his big men up just a little bit to deter the drive allow his guards who were all good at getting over the top of screens to then recover. And then he would still allow for weak side guard defense to like get in help situations. If that's Danny green, if that's Alex Caruso, if that's LeBron James, even right to sort of help with that role, man, so that the big then could recover and then have those guys, the helping guard then kick back out to recover to the three-point line to play against a potential skip. There was a lot of stuff that Vogel did that was, hey, this is very much we're on a string. This is a chain, and we're going to be doing this together. And 
that idea of we're going to coach you guys up to put you into positions to succeed and not ask you to do things that you're not good at. He did so much more of that than he did the opposite. Now, were there some times where he left guys out on on an island? Sure. I think that speaks to some of the limitations within the roster, right? Like, oh, we don't have a big wing right now. So sorry, KCP, you've got to guard Kawhi Leonard. Like, sorry, Danny Green, you've got to go guard Ben Simmons. I know this isn't the best thing for you, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to protect you as much as we can. You got help. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to have help. But, but you've got help back there and we're going to work our best with this. And so just, I know we've been doing a lot of praise, right? Vogel this and Vogel that, but like, it all starts with him because I think that you have to actually create a game plan that the players believe in. Guys aren't going to buy in and stay buy in just just for the hell of it. And Darius, where that starts with Frank's ability to get the roster to execute this is LeBron. And we touched on this last pod with Dave. And, you know, LeBron, I've always felt that he was criticized far too much for his regular season defense when he always set it up to peak in the postseason to the point where, again, where Steph and Clay they're running him off the three point line and LeBron's at the rim every time. Like he, it's all a part of his 365 day plan. And I think Laker fans, it took a little while to realize that last season. Well, this season Vogel was the one that sat down that with LeBron and with the rest of the roster and said, Hey, look, th- if you guys do this, here's what will happen. And LeBron is extremely smart. We don't, we don't need to spend a lot of time debating that. And he was like, yeah, I, I see that. Like if I, if I perform this way defensively, we're not going to lose much. We're just not. And, and that was Frank Vogel gets his fair share of credit for that. So let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how all of this defensive preparation and covering for each other translated to the Lakers playoff front. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. So one thing that you said, Darius, that really stood out to me prior to the break was about how we he would make tweaks, but based off of like a base coverage, right? Like, and and that's so essential to being a good team on the defensive end in particular. Part of why I was so confident about the Miami series, for example, is by game three, Spolstra was on plan C defensively and we were still on plan A, right? Yeah. And, and that was a consistent theme throughout the playoffs is that we would 
start the same way, really, even against Houston. And that was the one that, like, drove me crazy. Like, they play totally differently. Why aren't we playing any differently than we normally do? And we lost that game fairly convincingly in part because we didn't adapt. But as soon as we did, we ended that series fairly quickly. I think Vogel being so preparation heavy, I actually think that the hiatus, he was probably able to get a lot done in that time that is just not possible from a coaching standpoint during the regular season. But what did you see in terms of our defensive philosophies translating from the regular season to the postseason? I think that there was a certain amount of aggression. So when you decide you're going to be a defensive first team, right? That that's going to be your mindset and that's going to be your identity. To me, then that becomes the idea that is going to push you forward against any given team. And I think Vogel recognized, and I think that this was so big in the Houston series, for example, and then again in game six against the Heat. It was this idea of we're at our best when we are attacking you defensively. Right? Not, we're not responding to what you're doing. We are dictating the terms. And this is another idea that we've talked about a lot on the pod. But I think this comes from Vogel's mindset of being a defensive first team that he understood that the Lakers were a very good rotating team all season, that they had that size, speed, length, strength combination right and so that idea of yeah we're going to pressure you at the point point of attack and we're going to rotate behind you and then we're going to rotate again and rotate again and make you reset and now oh look there's six seconds on the shot clock there's four seconds on the shot clock Mm -hmm. how many 24 second violations did the lakers force this postseason and that's because an offense is trying to to cycle through options, right? It's like a quarterback who drops back. All right, that's read one. It's not there. Read two, read three. By the time you get to read four, the quarterback is probably scrambling or there's a defensive guy who's taking him down. And that was the Lakers' philosophy defensively as a basketball team, right? Like we're going to rotate and rotate and rotate and we're going to be aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. We're going to funnel you to spots on the floor. And now what are you going to do? There's three seconds left. And I thought that it was more than any sort of individual adjustment that he made. And he made plenty over the course of the postseason. It was that idea of, no, no, no. We're going to dictate to you as an offense how we want you to play. And you're going to have to beat us that way. And no team did over the course of four series. And and I think that that speaks to the mindset that, again, I think it starts with Vogel. Like, I know the players have to go out there and execute it, and they're the embodiment of that. But if you still need the game plan. And just to, to, to be real, kind of basic about it, that's why they have film and shoot-around sessions. And, like, that's that's literally what they do, right? And Frank, as LeBron has told us, as many of the other players have told us, that is one of the things that he excels at compared to other coaches. Like he, he has a really good plan down. And another coach that got a lot of credit and deservedly so is Eric Spolstra, who is another guy. And guess where these two guys started? Right? In the film room, in the NBA film room. In the film room. Just like Pete. Okay? So, and so it turns out that the film room is important. Just like Pete, guess where Frank Vogel started? Okay? <laughs> guess where Eric Spolstra started? 
they started breaking down film and bringing that to shoot around, bringing that to practice, and especially in the playoffs and especially in the bubble, you're not going to be doing any kind of practicing aside from shooting because your games are every other day. So that in-between day is about film. It's about breaking down film from the previous night. And I don't know how many times I was on a Zoom call with whether it was LeBron or Rondo and it was after the game and they were like, man, I, I just can't wait till we get into the film room tomorrow and really get into this. And Because not only did they like doing it themselves, but they knew that the coaching staff was going to give them some good thoughts and some good ideas. Look, Mike, I, and this is where I think I want to bring it up again because I think it's so important when you mentioned earlier about like the LeBron piece being important and the buy-in with LeBron, I think, and Pete and I have talked, talked about this some over the course of the year, but now that the team has actually won the championship, I think it becomes an even more important through line for the team this season is there's only a handful of ways I think to get LeBron James respect, maybe even only two or three. And one of them, I think, is by being smart and prepared, right? And Vogel doesn't have – he's not Jason Kidd, right? He wasn't a teammate of his on the Olympic team. He didn't have a Hall of Fame NBA career. He's not one of the top five basketball brains as a player, right? Vogel doesn't have that. What he does have, though, are smart ideas and – preparation and I don't think there's a place that's going to show up more than in a film session right with the entire team where he's bringing ideas to the floor that's right this is what I see this is how we can counter that what do you guys think I think this I see that too right and there's going to be a lot of that back and forth that I think builds consensus, which then, again, creates buy-in, maintains buy-in, that collaboration, that level of communication that is going to propel you forward. That's how you start having a conversation. That whole dynamic in the film room of a coach presenting, this is what I see, this is my thoughts on how to combat it, how they will might counter it. Uh, what do you guys think? All of a sudden, you're having a conversation with Rajon Rondo, one of the great film room players of all time, LeBron James, even a Jared Dudley, right? These are guys that this is a, there's a room full of guys with strong basketball opinions. But when you are not worried about getting the credit when you're not worried about I'm being the guy in charge when your approach is collaborative and embracing the fact I've got brilliant people in this room Jason Kidd Lionel Hollins right and that together as a collective if we have a conversation about this and talk it out they're going to say some things that maybe I didn't think of I'm going to say some things that they didn't think of but collectively we we're going to work together and we're going to have some ownership in that I would also say too that there's going to be times where you disagree, where you don't see things the same exact way. And that's way. great. Mm -hmm. And then being open to say, you know what? Let's do it your way. Because I, you have now brought me on board to your position. And as a head coach to cede some of that power, right? That's important too in order to maintain the right ebb and flow of an NBA locker room where the players do have a ton of power. They do have, they are going to have ideas about what is supposed to work. And that's where I think Vogel was great this year too. 
I think that there's one huge area that we haven't gotten to yet about the way that the Lakers finish games that Frank Vogel used the entire regular season to set up. And ultimately, when you watch a playoff basketball game, it's kind of like, all right, who are my five? Who are my best five? Who are your best five? Let's go at it. We don't have any weak spots. And Vogel was able to keep the whole roster engaged to the point where he could start a guy. Uh, he could start Alex Caruso in game six. There wasn't going to be a thing. He could start AD at the 5-1 game. He could start Dwight in one playoff series. He could sit JaVale. And it started in game two of the regular season. The Lakers, even though they had a lead against Utah, he still came out of the second half and started AD at center. And then they crushed Rudy Gobert in the second half. So he, he set that through line up and used it throughout the year. And it ties back into their, their sessions and practice of looking at the video, breaking it down and explaining to the players why some of these alternate lineups have sense. And, I don't remember seeing a team, certainly a Laker team, that had this many different versions, and that is something that's not easy to manage. And we didn't, even, we never heard a peep about it, did we, all season long? Yeah, we've always had, you know, under the Phil Jackson years, especially kind of a closing five. Every once in a while, another player would crack that, but you were gonna face our Fisher, Kobe, Lamar, Powell, and. Artester Ariza, right? Like we were closing games with that group. And if Jordan Farmar had a great game up until that point or Shannon Brown, probably didn't matter. They probably weren't going to crack that. They get a pat on the back. They get a pat on the back. Good job. That can work too, by the way. That can work too. But, uh, but, and that's the reason why a lot of teams do that. But Pete, uh, Frank was able to tap into something else. Well, that's the thing is that you can prepare for that. You're, especially in a playoff series, if you know what's coming at the end of a, of a game, we had how many different guys closed competitive playoff games for us in this playoff run? We had more closing five-man lineups than I've ever seen from a team that was truly dominant, right? Even going to the Warriors, you knew the five that were going to be on the floor. Maybe there was a sixth guy, but we had eight guys – Keith might finish the game. Rondo might finish the game. Caruso might finish the game. KCP, Danny Green. These were all options that really went beyond what most teams do that are dominant. And I want to tie this back to the run that we had defensively in the playoffs is particularly intriguing to me because the teams were different. The offenses were different, right? In the first round, we had Damian Lillard, which is very guard coming off of screen heavy, right? When we go to the second round, that's very isolation-based offense, right? It's the, Everyone's trying to spread you out, but the Rockets don't run much pick-and-roll anymore. It's a lot of isolation. Defensively, that's a different challenge than it is if you're defending high screen-and-roll type stuff. Then you go to the Denver Nuggets, who they're initiated from their five oftentimes, right? And there's a lot of off-screen action that's with Jokic at the top of the key, and then you've got handoffs with Murray. They run a ton of handoffs. That translated to Miami. Miami had a lot of handoff action too, and when Bam played, he could facilitate the offense. But what they had was also a, a wing that we didn't face in the Western Conference going up until that point. And one of the things that was fun to me from an X's and O's standpoint in this series was Miami found their best option against us defensively when Duncan Robinson started to hedge and recover and Tyler Hero started to hedge recover on ball screens rather than just switching it. And we were having issues with Jimmy Butler in these like Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, like, do we switch it? Well, then they're getting their inside ceiling and they're, they're beating our switches, right? And so how do we navigate these guard screens and these kind of unconventional actions? 
Well, all of a sudden, we've got KCP hedging and recovering. We've got AC hedging and recovering. And so it's kind of it, – it speaks to the shape-shifting nature of the defense, of the ability to play seven, eight different guys in a closing lineup that I was so impressed with what Mike was talking about, being able to keep everybody – locked in and believing so that they could go out there and execute and be a shape-shifting type of team. It all ties together. Look, man, I know that this is about Vogel and and I think that he does deserve a ton of credit, but I also just, just want to say, like, look at the way that this team came together, and I don't know who gets all of the credit for that. I don't think one person does right everyone came together from this perspective of we have our thing to offer it's it's one of the reasons why i'm very happy with the framing of what we're doing with these sort of appreciation pods for these individual guys because they are actually like this was my contribution yeah. to that Right. And it's not one guy who stood above the rest and pulled everyone in in a single direction. It was like, this is what I can do. And to speak to something that Mike said said earlier, the ability and, and sort of egolessness of some of the players even to say, you know what? I st- like if you're JaVale, I started 80 games or whatever or ha- however many games he started this year and in the last two rounds of the playoffs like he only played in garbage time but he was the guy to to sort of reiterate what Dave McMenamin said on on our last pod he was maybe one of the most vocal energetic bench guys mm-hmm. during the finals right straddling that little video wall and the first guy out there to give a high five and it's that culture that the Lakers had and that togetherness that they had that really did drive them towards winning the championship. Like talent is a given. You need that to win. But I think we saw it with a team like the Clippers, for example, who did not necessarily have that same connectivity and how they flamed out. So credit to Vogel because I think that he is a main driver of that culture within the locker room and as the head coach and setting the lineups and making sure that he's communicating with with all of the players but credit the players too because it's easy for guys to drift in and out of this but I didn't see any of that this year from any of those guys and for me the bottom line with Frank Vogel is that he correctly analyzed what the situation was the city ownership management he then correctly analyzed the roster uh the players how to have it have it fit together and then he executed it as well as you could have asked. You know, it, it really is, in the way that the whole season went, it's hard to, to poke too many holes into it. And I remember even the one hole that I kept trying to poke, uh, not publicly, not on my Twitter account, not on <laughs> podcast, right, but maybe in our group text, was like, yeah, you know, I don't know if, if they're going to be able to play Rondo, you know, to this degree. And he was right on that, yeah. too. Uh, look where look where that went along at, and that again that was the one area where it's like oh, I don't know you know off the bench like shouldn't it be more Caruso with the ball in his hands and and so he you just have to you just have to give the guy credit uh, for what he produced this season. Frank said this on Zach Lowe's podcast where Zach had had asked Coach, um, "Hey, in the aftermath of all the celebration, was there one conversation that you had?" with one player or one person that that you wanted to share or that was extra meaningful to you. And 
he spoke about a conversation that he had with Rondo, like at their celebration party, where Rondo basically just came up to him and said, you know, thank you for believing in me. And there were a lot of people who did not believe in Rajon Rondo. Like, I'm raising my hand right now because I was one of those guys who thought to sort of what Mike was speaking about, that is he going to be able to bring it and is playoff Rondo a myth and this, this, that, and the other. But all year long, Vogel spoke so highly of Rondo. And any time there was even a, a hint that people were questioning what his contributions were to the team, he pushed back as hard as you possibly could, and it, saying, "And in doing he, so, he's there is in doing so, he put himself then on the line and on the hook yeah. for criticism, right?" No, that's right. He he's basically right there on the front lines with the guy who is, at least from a social media standpoint or criticism standpoint, the guy who was at the front of the firing line, right? That was Rondo, and Vogel stood right next to him. And put up his shield as the head coach and said, no, 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 not this guy. Mm-hmm. This guy's important. This guy's going to, going to help us when it matters the most. And to be vindicated for that and, and, and rewarded for that belief, that has to mean something to coach Vogel. But I also think it just speaks to that idea of I can see it, right? Like I know what the best thing is. And as a head coach who has lost a couple of jobs before, you know that he came into this thinking, I'm going to do this my way. No one's going to come at me and convince me to do something different. And that's what Vogel did this year. And at the end, he's the one who's now holding the trophy. And as LeBron James said, right, like Coach Vogel wants wants his respect. And so, like, we're giving it to him right now because he was the guy. He was, and uh, there's a reason why everyone around the team really – you were talking about earning respect earlier, Darius, and earning respect of people like LeBron. It's because Vogel is the real deal, and he worked himself up from that Division three college through film rooms, through uh, assistant coaching gigs, and it, it speaks to the, his ability to continually learn. That quote you said, Mike, about Orlando was kind of a, a testing ground for philosophies. That This was a guy who built his defense around Roy Hibbert. Right. And built a, built a defense that was not, it's not, wasn't obsolete a couple of years ago, but you can't play that way anymore. And so the ability to continually grow and learn was something that he demonstrated. And we saw the fruits of that this year. Tiny little note here that I, I just thought was funny. So like throughout the playoffs, I'm kind of, I'm thinking, all right, well, Lakers won 4-1. They won 4-1 again. Man, Frank Vogel's winning percentage in the playoffs is going to keep going up and up. And it was pretty good in Indiana. And so I'm like, all right, I wonder, man. So I kept checking it. He ranks 21st all time already in playoff win percentage, okay, at nice. 57.3%. And just if you, if, in terms of raw playoff wins, he's not that far off there either. He's 27th now uh, with 47. Wow. And so it just, just a little thing too. It's like he, we tend to think of him. He's so unassuming. Um, even Darius, what you said about how, like LeBron said, Frank Vogel wants his credit. I don't know if he really does in, in that sense. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's, he's the one guy who, like, I don't know. Frank kind of seems like he's happy either way. But it's just, it's just still notable to me that here he is all of a sudden, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But he's he's starting to put his resume up there in a pretty nice spot. 
and we're we're lucky to have him and hopefully watch him climb those charts more and more. Uh, these have been a lot of fun. We'll get more and more into the present day as we get closer and closer. There's some rumors this week about the start date. As soon as those get a little more solidified, we'll probably get into that. But on Wednesday, we're going to take a look around the Eastern Conference with a, a special focus on the contenders, teams that you know may challenge the Lakers, maybe a finals opponent. We're going to always try to look at these general NBA issues through a Lakers lens. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.